Thank you for choosing to listen to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. Each of these messages were given by various faculty, staff, and friends of Emmaus Bible College. To view each series as a whole or for more information about similar Emmaus ministries, please visit concerninghim.com. We're beginning today in Joshua chapter 5, and so I want to bring you up to speed if you haven't been with us up to this point. In Joshua chapter 1, we saw the Lord commissioning Joshua as the leader of the people of Israel to take uh, his people across the Jordan River and into the land of Canaan to conquer it. We saw Joshua uh, grab a hold of the two and a half tribes who had settled to the east of the Jordan River, saying to them, All right, it's time. Send me your fighting men, and they're going to come across with us into the land of Canaan. In Joshua chapter 2, Joshua sends spies into the city of Jericho, and they speak with Rahab the harlot. They promise to spare her and her household uh, for protection. And uh, as a result, she gives them the very important information that the people of Jericho and the people of the land of Canaan in general have heard about the greatness of the Lord and what he's done for Israel and that their hearts are melting away in fear. In Joshua's chapter, uh, chapters 3 and 4, we saw the crossing of the Jordan River as uh, the people of Israel are for now for the first time entering into the land of Canaan, invading, and the miracle of the cutting off of the waters of the Jordan so that the people could cross over on dry ground. Chapter 4 showed us the memorial stones that uh, the Lord had set up both in the middle of the Jordan River and on the edge where the people camped at the site of Gilgal to help future generations remember uh, what had occurred in that miracle as the people crossed over the Jordan River uh, ready for war. Now, it might be good for us just to take a step back for a moment and think about why the land of Canaan was so desirable for the people of Israel, and there are really a couple different reasons. One reason, uh, obviously, would be it was a land that had been promised to Abraham uh, way back in uh, Genesis chapters 12 and 15 and 17, where the Lord uh, says to Abram while he's still uh, uh, in his land of his fathers that he should get up and go to the land that God would show him. He had never been there before, and uh, Abram believed the Lord. And we read in chapter 15, the Lord credited to that to him as righteousness. Uh, so this land was promised to Abraham and to his descendants. But in addition to it being uh, the promised land, there was really a lot about the land of Canaan that was really significant. Uh, it was a land flowing with milk and honey, the text says. That's a way of saying it was a land that yielded a lot of uh, valuable produce, uh, it was a great area for pasturing flocks up in the hill country. We saw that all the way back from uh, the time of Abraham into the time of Isaac and Jacob as they were going back and forth along the ridges of the mountains of the central hill country, uh, pasturing their flocks. Uh, it was a land that was protected uh, up in the, the high hills. Uh, it would be harder to be conquered uh, by other peoples in those uh, territories. Um, additionally, the land of Canaan was situated in such a way that it was really the prime territory uh, along 
two major trade routes for several uh, important reasons. So the route from Egypt in the south up to uh, along the top of the Fertile Crescent toward Mesopotamia in the north and to the east, uh, this was called the uh, Way of the Sea. Uh, and this was a typical uh, trade route that would be taken by people traveling back and forth between Mesopotamia or Anatolia, modern-day Turkey, and down to Egypt in the south. And so these routes would come right through the land of Canaan. The way of the sea uh, was the common passageway. Why is this important? Well, you have a lot of goods that are being traded along this route. You've got gold from Egypt in the south. You've got copper and tin and other metals from Anatolia in the north. You've got textiles and some precious jewels and uh, other things uh, coming from Mesopotamia in the east. And then on the eastern side of the land of Canaan, actually across the Jordan, you have the uh, uh, Transjordanian Highway or the, the King's Highway that went north and south, uh, that people crossed up and down to uh, do all their trading. And so everybody's coming through the land of Canaan. So whoever controls that land between has the ability to control who gets what and what trade is happening and uh, in some area uh, eras, uh, taxation of what's going on there. So the land of Canaan was very, very significant uh, for trade and gathering up the uh, produce of the nations. There is a very intentional reason why the Lord is placing Israel in the land of Canaan. Uh, remember, God's desire way back during the time of Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 was to take Abraham and through him to bless all the nations, all the peoples of the earth. Genesis uh, 12, 3. So God is going to use Israel and place them in this very significant uh, land between all these other major nations. And his desire is to use them as sort of this lighthouse uh, that all the other nations can see the glory of the Lord, that they might influence all these other nations, and maybe these other nations would turn and put their faith in the God of Israel. So there is a very missional nature to the geography of the land of Canaan and where God wants his people. And now he has brought his people across the Jordan into the land, and they are beginning to infiltrate uh, the Canaanites and uh, we will see for the next seven years are going to go to war to rid the land of uh, the heathen nations and set themselves up as the Lord's nation in the midst of this territory. Now in Joshua chapter 5, last time we read the first verse, uh, it's a good segue from chapter 4 into chapter 5. Now it came about when all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond uh, the Jordan to the west, and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea, that's the Mediterranean Sea, heard how the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan before the sons of Israel, 
and until they had crossed that their hearts melted and there was no spirit in them any longer because of the sons of Israel. Now this phrase, their hearts melted, goes back to the same thing that Rahab had said in Joshua chapter 2 and verses 9 and verse 24. Uh, the spies report it to Joshua. She says, all of the peoples of Jericho and of the land of Canaan had heard about the crossing of the Red Sea, what God had done in bringing you up out of Egypt, and of what you had done to Sihon and Og, the kings of the Amorites in the Transjordan. And because of this, everybody was terrified. Their hearts were melting away in fear before them. And now as a result of the crossing of the Jordan River and the uh, hearing about what the Lord had done in drying up the waters, cutting off the waters of the Jordan, all of the peoples of the land of Canaan are terrified. Their hearts are melting away. There's no spirit in them any longer. So the Lord is using these signs and wonders as propaganda and psychological warfare. They are afraid of Israel before Israel is ever going to come knocking on their doors here. Then we come in verse 2, in verses 2 through 9, we have an interesting event that takes place after the people of Israel have crossed while they're at the city of Gilgal that helps explain some things to us. But the question we might have about this is why is this done here and now at this juncture? So listen to these words, verses 2 through 9. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make for yourselves flint knives and circumcise again the sons of Israel a second time. So Joshua made himself a flint, flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at Gibeah Ha'araloth. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the people who came to Egypt, who were males, all the men of war, died in the wilderness along the way after they came out of Egypt, for all the people who came out were circumcised. But all the people who were born in the wilderness along the way as they came out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the sons of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, that is all the men of war who came out of Egypt, perished because they did not listen to the voice of the Lord, to whom the Lord had sworn that he would not let them see the land which the Lord uh, had sworn to their fathers to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. And their children, whom he raised up in their place, Joshua circumcised, for they were uncircumcised because they had not circumcised them along the way. Now it came about when they had finished circumcising all the nation that they remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So the name of the place is called Gilgal to this day. So Joshua circumcises the fighting men of Israel, all the men of Israel here, just as they're about to go into battle. This is not really the kind of action that's usually done prior to an invasion. What is the Lord thinking here? Well, I think this demonstrates to us, again, the Lord is very concerned for holiness, for the separation of his people from sin. Joshua takes all of his people, uh, the men, to a place uh, near the camp that he designates 
the hill of the foreskins, Gibeah Ha'araloth. And uh, he gives the reason why they're all circumcised there. So here it is in verse 4. The older generation of fighting men who came up out of Egypt were circumcised. But these men all died in the wilderness. And while they were in the wilderness, the Israelites had not circumcised their children. For whatever reason, we're not exactly sure. Maybe this was uh, more of a typical um, uh, process in Egypt that they didn't commonly do this. We don't know for certain. But while they were in the wilderness, Israel did not circumcise the younger generation. Well, we know that the Lord had cursed the older generation because of their unbelief at Kadesh Barnea, that they would all die in the wilderness. And so the older generation who were circumcised all died in the wilderness. And now, as they're entering into Canaan, Joshua circumcises the people. I think this is done uh, in order to help the people understand about the Lord's holiness and the Lord's desire that they uh, adhere to this sign of the covenant. Circumcision was intricately tied to the covenant that God had made with Abraham. And so, uh, for them to all be circumcised here before the conquest of Canaan and starting with Jericho would have been for them a restatement of their affirmation or commitment to uh, the covenant. So the Lord says, I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. This is a hard phrase, probably just referring to the act, of, uh, the uncircumcision of the younger generation. Uncircumcision was viewed as uncleanness, and so it was being pulled back or rolled back here, and now they were being circumcised and sanctified as they were going into the land of Canaan. God desires to use his people uh, for his glory, but he wants them to be uh, holy, to follow him, to be set apart to him. And I think this passage alludes to God's desire that his people be holy so that they can be used for his glory. Thank you for listening to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. This ministry is possible because of the generous contributions from our partners around the world. For more information about partnering with us, please visit emmaus.edu partner.